Sinead, Roxanne, and Lauren from Procter & Gamble. Welcome to Pex Network on B2B IQ. I'm your host, Seth Adler. Download episodes on pexnetwork.com or wherever you currently get your podcasts. First, some supporters to thank. And then Sinead, Roxanne, and Lauren from Procter & Gamble. This episode is supported by the Process Excellence Network. Pex Network is a global community for process professionals, business leaders, and executives who want to improve their businesses through process and operational excellence. With a global membership of 130,000 plus and a burgeoning global portfolio of live events, webinars, and networking opportunities, Pex Network provides access to experienced process professionals and industry insider insight. Go to pexnetwork.com to find out more. This episode is also supported by Process Excellence Europe. Establish a customer-centric culture of continuous improvement to drive change, innovation, and sustainability for the modern customer. October 22nd through the 24th, 2018 at the Postillion Convention Center, Amsterdam. Customers are evolving faster than your business and showing no signs of slowing down. Join your process excellence peers and adapt to a hyper-competitive landscape or risk losing your market share. Go to performanceexcellenceeurope.com to register now. Sinead, thank you so much for giving thank us you. a few minutes of your time and, and you really have been the uh, the needle that has uh, thread this whole thing together. So I, I want to make sure that we really kind of understand your trials and tribulations uh, on okay. a day-to-day basis, right? <laughs> uh, almost get, uh, uh, do the psychiatrist bit a little bit. Okay. Because, sure. you know, in the in the panel uh, with the, the other uh, women, we talked about uh, specific issues in the uh, panel with your UX and uh, HR colleagues. We mm-hmm. spoke about how that interaction happens. Uh, what about your day-to-day? You know, when you come in um, in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? When you go home, what keeps you up at night, those types of things. So first thing in the morning, um, I have my daily scrum with Uh the project that I'm working at the moment that I'm scrum leader. We do it first thing in the morning, 15 minutes, and that really sets at least 50% of my work for the day. Mm -hmm. So what comes out of that is where do they need help? What intervention do they need? Where do I need to go next? That's my priority list. That gets done first. Then there's the, like I talked about, setting up this brand new team from July, which massively expands the footprint. And I have people in Manila and I'm going to have people in Costa Rica, which is awesome. Um, It's then thinking about how do I structure them in the right way Mm. and how do I get them up and running quickly? So from a technology perspective, um, I'm not concerned or I'm not worried. These guys really know their stuff. And it's a big mix in that group from my age group all the way down to early 20s. Mm. So I'm not concerned that they won't understand how to do the development part of their job. It's how do I create the right environment? How do I create capability? How do I create that interaction? Because one of the big things that I think if you're not in it, you might not see is to really drive the smartest part of this automation and the technology in the best way, it's creativity. So I don't think people necessarily think about, you know, if they think of old coding terms like ones and zeros, they don't think creativity. They don't think about how do I leverage technology to really drive a change? And you've got to be creative because it's not sitting going, right, I'll write this piece of code and that's going to change the world. Right. That that ship's gone, or at least in how I look at it, that's not how we work. It's really looking at how do I look at a start and an end point? What 
can I do to make it better? Yeah. So we'll take some of Ali's point on UX. So what really is the customer? That's where we start when we do some of these design workshops. Who really is going to see this and who really is going to use it? What's it? What's the purpose? Forget what you do today. Forget pressing the button. Who sees it at the end? Is it you? Is it someone outside? And what do they really use it for? Mm. And I think a lot of people will understand there will be pieces which are, oh, well, I do this because I've done it this way for years. But does the person you send this report to actually read it? Yeah. Like you you have to extract the data. You got to manipulate it in Excel. Then you're going to export it to a PDF. Then you're going to have to manually email it to this person. But did they actually open the email or just go, oh, Sinead sent me an email. She sends it monthly. I know it's a report. Right. Yeah, I'll file it. And And I appreciate the fact that she's working hard. Yeah. So it, it's that creativity of thinking of, well, if I had it in a dashboard or is the data correct? Mm-hmm. Is what I'm sending them, yes, they see a report and they know I'm doing my job, but could I send them something different? Could I send them somewhere else? Could I develop it in a different way Yeah, that actually makes their life better versus they receive it on a monthly basis and they file it? How do you avoid weaving yourself into constant change, which has no end, meaning, okay, I'll ask John, you know, I, I send John Barraclough this uh, report every month. I know that he wants it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we do catch up about certain aspects of it. I haven't heard him ask this question on X. I'll ask him that. But then kind of diving in on every single, I send Richard from HR, I do that. Ali, we talk about this. How do you ensure creativity mm-hmm. w- without chaos? Yeah. So I think the first part is stepping outside like the individual pieces that run and look at the full big picture. Like what really is the process or what really is the purpose of those 70 70 pieces of code or 70 pieces of reporting that I send every month? Mm -hmm. What's the end goal? What do I want people to do with that? What is really going to impact their job? So I may have a conversation with all of them But then I'm going to sit down and go, right, here's what I'm going to deliver. This is the timing and this is what it's going to look like. And then I look at my portfolio and I go, I really want to tackle the biggest pieces first. So I may look at that report I send to John every month, but I may look at it and go, okay, well, it's not broken. I could maybe put a bit of automation around it, but really, is it going to change the business insight? Is it going to change the user that's doing it? Mm -hmm. Does it take me more than 20 minutes a a month? Maybe that's not the one I want to go after. I want to go after the one that impacts 40 users globally or 100 users globally that I can take, you know, three days out of their work process on a monthly basis or four days where they can, you know, spend that time doing better insights or better analytics or the report that they produce at the end genuinely drives a business change. So that's how I cut my line, which is I'll look at but I'll always take that step back and go, okay, big, 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 big picture. Mm-hmm. And here are the ones, yeah, it could be a nice little win because it's annoying for someone. Right. But if it's not going to really take time or really drive a business change, then it doesn't get my get on my list. Got it. Okay. So focus on only the big pieces mm-hmm. until there are no b- more big pieces. And then maybe we look at it differently. There we go. All right. It does sound like, as we've been speaking Mm -hmm. for the better part of this morning, that your job simply is change. Yes. Do you see it that way? I see it that way. And that's what's exciting. So I think 
it's great, but could I live in this 100% and nothing else? Maybe not. So I, I've done multiple different roles now in p mm-hmm. This is a huge opportunity, like I said, where it's it's driving so fast and it's constant change. But I also think that you need someone heading that up that really is very, very comfortable with change and can live it. But it might be that that person does it for five years and then they find something maybe different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It all depends on personality. So right now, I'm loving it. I like not knowing where I'm going next. Do I think I can permanently live my life like this? Maybe. Right. But you know what? In the outside world, that's what we're all living in because everything is changing so fast. And I think you've got to get at peace with yourself. Now, the speed of that and how constant it is, that's the bit that you can play up and down. That's up to you type of thing. When we say that's up to you, your colleagues, we've we've Mm -hmm. been speaking to your colleagues throughout these conversations. And I wonder what what do you hear when you speak to folks, you know, that are doing your same Mm -hmm. type of function outside of this organization? Mm -hmm. What do they not have right necessarily what you know what what should they do be doing more of what should they be doing less of a couple of things when i was at a a a conference a couple of weeks ago i think that people are still trying to draw the boundaries too tight Mm -hmm. and really map out at a much more granular level than we do and i think that impacts really the end result or it impacts the creativity or they go in with okay, for this process, I'm going to use robotics. For this process, I'm going to only use a work orchestration tool. For this process, I'm only going to use this technology. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can predispose, or at least the ahas that we've had are, really understand the process and where you want to get to. Then think about the technology or then think about Mm -hmm. the combination of technologies. Because I don't think one technology can fix all business processes. At least that's what we've learned. Yeah. So you've got to come at it with a different mindset. Yep. It's also that culture of we learn as much from our more junior people and those just at a university than we do from those that have been in the business for years. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be open-minded because I hear a lot of people well, it's good that we've get fresh blood in and it's good that we, you know, have them in, but they go and do this development right. work. But, right. Over here. Yeah. Um, we really drive like a completely, I would say, almost horizontal organization where we all sit together, all our desks are the same. Mm. We've got a big communal area where we talk all the time and it's constantly, but why, but why, but why? Yeah. And I think you've got to change your mindset and get used and get comfortable with that because that's not everyone's comfort zone. They'd be my big two. I gotcha. And so those are great pieces of advice. If I'm listening to you Mm -hmm. and I say, well, sure, that sounds all well and good, (laughs) but she's at P&G. She's got, you know, top level management that's bought into innovation. That's Mm -hmm. how they run that organization. They've been running it that way for decades. The resources that John Barraclough mentioned off the cuff are amazing. I don't have those resources. Mm-hmm. I don't have that buy-in. If you were to put on a different hat, okay, how would you get that buy-in? Because the resources are just not going to be there. So how would you manage up to make sure that you would get that freedom to do those things that you just mentioned? I think it really is painting the aspirational picture first. Mm-hmm. And all you need is one senior leader that gets it to be your advocate and your sponsor. Mm-hmm. So- 
choose the person that you see when you look up that really gets a bigger picture and is not afraid of technology. And then paint the picture like we've been painting, sorry, which is it's not about taking necessarily people out, but do you want to drive better quality in your data? Do you want to drive more insights? Do you really want to drive the business? Here's what we can take away to get your people to focus on something very, very different. Yeah. Size isn't everything. When we started this team or the team I've been working in for the last six months, it's two-year placements mm. and it's three experienced P&G people. And then we've added one and then we've added one. And right. now it's about bought. Sometimes you've got to get running in a small place yeah. to prove the worth. And then the snowball starts to build right. and momentum starts to come behind it. So don't sit and wait for everything to be in situ. Yeah. Find someone that believes in you. Find a sponsor. Get them to give you a little bit of seed money or a little bit of wiggle room. Find two or three others that can get in the, you know, get in the boat with you and and, and do the work mm-hmm. and just go. Yeah. And if it works, they'll find you the next person right. and they'll find you the next person and then it really starts to grow. But don't wait. Yeah. Go with what you've got and find that one person that can open a few doors. The one thing to not do is wait. Yeah. And even here at PNG, we started with a handful of folks. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. that. Sinead, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, I guess we'll keep checking in with you down the yes. line. That'd be awesome. Roxana Lungu. 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 All the vowels are you. All the vowels are you. And it could be an umlaut, you know, the two dots. Could be. On the first U. Why not? Yeah, but it isn't. No. At least currently. But if you call me whatever, yeah. that sounds similar. I'll look around and be like, hi. I gotcha. So if I do Longo, you'll kind of, yes. you'll you'll help. Yeah, okay. I'll write down how you call me so I can remember next time. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Roxana, we, we kind of have to know uh, what we're looking at as far as this data. Mm-hmm. And I want to blaze right past that and go to the new data that is being created from intelligent automation. You know, Lauren took us through how work orchestration is bringing new data to light. What are you then doing with that? How do you see it? And and what are we doing with this brand new data from intelligent automation? We analyze it. We derive insights and Building up on Lauren's points, we reassure people that what we are doing with it is what they don't want to do, so they can focus on what they do want to do mostly. Right. So the mindset is human and robot, computer, whatever you want together, solve this challenge here, solve these research questions here. It's never, I have this data, I absolutely have to use machine learning on this data because that sounds amazing. Right. It's more, I have this thing in my work that I don't really know how to address or that I would like to do faster or let's have a look together and see what I can figure out from this data that I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But it's never this technology for, forced from the top on this data here. So it's always spending enough time with the data so the data can introduce itself and be like, this is me. Uh-huh. These are my key features. These are my key patterns. Now you know. Yeah. Now ask me something else. Now ask me something else once you get to know me. So the yes. data is much like a human. Exactly. All right. 
So I, of course, you know, I'm going to go to machine learning, right? I'm going to go to cognitive solutions. Of course. When, can you give us an example of finding data and then saying, okay, wait a second, now that I understand uh, what this data is telling me, now I can apply some machine learning. Give us an example of that. I can tell you about a project I'm currently working on. Okay. And I'll borrow an analogy from biology first. So as a human, you receive external stimuli and you react to that. You have a feedback. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Well, what my machine does, what we do together. Mm -hmm. So I have a few fields, let's say a combination of fields, and I'm interested in figuring out what the last one should be. And in the first step, what me and the machine do together is looking very fastly, the machine does, I set up the rule, what's the field that you use most often when you saw that combination? And that's a recommendation. Now it goes to my end users and they can tell me, yes, I like it, or it's not quite what I meant. Mm. And that's where the feedback comes back. So external situation, recommendation and then feedback in. Mm -hmm. And that's how the laptop learns, but it's not learning on itself. It's learning with me sitting there, setting all the rules and it's learning with my end users providing feedback back. So, and we're talking about machine learning, learning from you and the other users, but aren't you bringing to the surface here precisely the point that we are not going to be able to do intelligent automation without really great work from really talented humans. Yes. Yes, exactly. Take us further in there. Can you provide an example of what you're talking about? Because you're kind of uh, so data centric. So you're almost in between me, someone who's not data centric and the machine, right? <laughs> you speak the machine language a little bit better than, than I do. Um, unpack the picture so that we can kind of see the landscape a little bit brighter. Um, can you give us a specific example of, of what you're talking about in terms of that feedback loop? In terms of what system With the machine works learning. On. Yes, exactly. So the machine learning kind of getting uh, insight from you and then getting feedback from the group and then changing what, uh, what comes out, that, that final column, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So the final column that changes for now is the accuracy of the first recommendation. Mm -hmm. So if in the past you use this particular field, this particular answer, let's call it AA. Mm -hmm. If in the past you use that quite a lot, then I'm telling you to use it quite a lot in the future as well. But if the user tells me, no, I'm not using AA anymore, I'm now using BB, mm -hmm. then the probability is updated using, well, a function that decreases very fast if there is a no, mm -hmm. because I want to exclude everything that is a no now very fast, and increases very softly. I could say if it's a yes, because I want to reinforce the confidence of saying yes every time, but right. just a little bit, because a no is a lot more critical than a yes. Interesting. Because if I'm using the wrong field, it might cause some, well, tiny issues. Right. If I'm using the right one and I'm saying, yeah, I'm even more sure of that, that's brilliant. So as far as the data scientist and the machine, what percentage of work is, you know, uh, attributed to each of you? How much of the decision making is coming from you? How much of the decision making is coming from machine learning? I can't separate that. It's alternating. It's me, machine, me, machine. I also learn from the machine. Uh -huh. You know, when you write your code, and something is wrong, you get an error message, change me this way. Right. And then if I write something in and I get an answer and 
I don't like the answer anymore. I go and change it. Right. So we develop it together, me and the machine. I provide inputs. I see what's come out, what's coming out. Yeah. Either I update my initial beliefs or I update how I programmed it. Yeah. In in some way, this is you know programming as it always was. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, this is completely new uh, because there is a cognitive piece here coming from the machine. Or is there? When we say cognitive solutions, do you believe that? Is that a... I believe that it is designed yeah. as cognitive as would be for a human. So would the machine know what to do if I told the machine this is my challenge? No. Mm -hmm. I'm mimicking a human response. So I asked the end users, what would you do in this situation? And that's where I'm, yeah reapplying the cognitive decision of the person to the machine that goes faster. Mm -hmm. Then there might be cases in which I don't know exactly the rules. And in that case, I would let the machine figure out that there are different categories of data that can be split. Mm -hmm. And then suggest me which one to look at. Go through, let the machine go through the massive amount of yeah. data and get, uh, get the information for you. So then when someone like you mm -hmm. uh, hears about these movies that someone like me has seen, you know, the ones that always come up at the conferences that we go to, um, do you think of that as nonsense? Do you see how that could, uh, how we could kind of march towards something like that? You're someone that is working with the machine, right? You're someone that's working with the cognitive solutions. What do you think about all that? I haven't seen yet a movie about a machine in my specific role. Oh, yeah, huh. So whatever I could tell you about that will be speculation of what I talk Fair about enough. the movie. Fair enough. And I appreciate your well thought out uh, uh, answers, even though I tried to put you on the spot. Um, in terms of in, uh, artificial intelligence, and as far as here we go, you know, towards uh, whatever will be, you're familiar with the term singularity. Right, the singularity where. Uh, well, define it for me. I don't know that you mean. So this exactly is what I what I understand the uh, term to mean is that uh, once uh, once machines have uh, enough intelligence, they can then take over. Right. Is All this, right. Is this nonsense or is that uh, something that you could see happening dozens of years into the future or five years into the future, or is this not even a question? Well, take over what exactly? Uh, the boring the decision, job that people no, make. No, no, yes, the decision-making for, for global society. <laughs> well, global society. Yes. It depends, right? Yeah. It depends on, do you want them to do it or not? Do you want to tell the programmer behind it to do it or not? How you define the global morale of what the programmer should apply to it? There we go. So that I appreciate that answer because that's what I was getting at. No matter what happens, humans will take artificial intelligence to where it is going. Artificial intelligence cannot escape from the grasp of, of humanity. Not today. Right. I can't tell you anything about the future with certainty. Understood. We can run a predictive model later on. I can tell you all the <laughs> values that come out of it, but based on my inference, yeah. I could say whatever and flip a coin. <laughs> Roxana, I'm going to keep in touch with you as you go, if you don't mind. Of course. You've got a big brain in there. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you very much. Lauren Radcliffe. Yes. And so the obvious question. Harry Potter. Right. I've got a T. So I'm Radcliffe, oh, not Radcliffe. He's Radcliffe. He's Radcliffe. Okay. That Much I don't know. more rare. 
much more rare. You are much more rare. <laughs> of course. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And were you a fan of the books or the movies? or Books. Love yeah. Harry Potter. You do? Yeah. You're one of the people. I think I read the first three in one sitting when I was moving house when I was about 10 years Those old. Those are thick books. Wow. They had to move me from the sofa because it was the last thing they were putting into the removal van. I see. And I had to sit on a windowsill. So they orchestrated <laughs> their work around your reading habits. They did. Do you see what I did there? Uh, that was very good. All right. So work <laughs> orchestration, what do we need to know here? What are we talking about? So work orchestration is really our way of focusing the the human users on where we want them to focus. Mm. Really, it's, it's almost the backbone of our, our automated process. So we can go away and we can automate as many transactional things as we need. However, there's always this inherent need for people to control things. Sure. Um, so what we really do with work orchestration is we give them a, a portal, we give them a front end, we give this, them somewhere to look um, so that it works on kind of two ways really. Mm -hmm. Number one, is that they can see where their processes are. They're not having to go to multiple disparate systems to be able to pick out pieces of information. That's kind of going against what we want them to do because it all will end up taking the manual transactional work away from them and we'll end up pointing them to about four or five different systems to be able to monitor that because it's natural. You right. want to see what's happening. Right. Through a work orchestration system, we, we point them at one place. We can then show them everything that is critical that we need them to do. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to coming in in the morning, think of your email inbox. You've come in the morning, you've got 100 new emails. Where do you start? Do you start top to bottom? Do you start bottom to top? Do you pick a few random ones out of the middle? What we really do with work orchestration is we we prioritize things. So we show them really where the highest value items are that we need a human to work on. Right. So if there is an outage that is an exception and it's really high value, that's gonna come straight to the top, it'll be there in red. Yeah. So we're really focusing them mm -hmm. and it's where we need them to go and fix stuff. Got it. Now, I wanna to talk to you about ownership and creativity because you, one of your answers in uh, one of the other <laughs> sessions was, you know, you appreciate the creativity. We know that folks want that ownership. How do you ensure that they still have that ownership? You're guiding them, but how do you ensure that they still have that ownership and the ability to be creative along with, you know, what you're orchestrating for them? Um, so what we really do is we give them a dashboard within within the work orchestration where they can see all of the automated processes that are running, how they are running, where they are. So a lot of, of working in financial services, a lot of what we do is on kind of a cycle basis. Sure. So they can see where they are in the cycle, how they are, how they are tracking, whether they're on track, off track. It gives them that ownership mm -hmm. of these are still my processes. Um, and I think in terms of creativity, they, they still have all of the data they're available for them. And they have uh, to just, still do the work. They've that, still that, got to do they the to creatively the, come up with the, the solution. The exceptions, yes. Yeah. Um, and in terms of data, we can put things like your, your customer requests alongside transactional data mm. um, so that they can see everything in one place. It's giving them that total picture yeah. whilst moving away some of the 
I want to be able to push the button work. Sure, yeah. Um, so it's it's really just refocusing them. All right, so we've got ownership, we've got creativity. What are they saying back to you? You know, Lauren comes in here in Newcastle, maybe goes to Manila, maybe goes to Costa Rica. You know, once you kind of show this dashboard and kind of can have them conceive of what is possible, what then is the feedback? They love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um, they, I think the fact for them, the, the one concern that personally I see, and I think as, as a team we see is when we start a, a new process or we move into a new area, there's always that apprehension that we're going to automate all of this work and it's just going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think when we build in that work orchestration, we'll build in that backbone, they they get the visibility, they get the transparency to what's happening. There's no more black box of automation. Right. Uh, they can see their data. They can, so we can we can do some analytics in there, and we can also create new analytics, uh, new data for them. So, for example, uh, if um, an item comes in, we're working it for. 10 minutes we can bring in all of that so actually we're getting them to a, a better granularity of data in terms of what they are actually working on right and it's a lot vis more visible as well i think from a, a managerial perspective is you have a team of 10 now you can see exactly what they are working on and how much time they are spending on things um, it also feeds very well into our kind of our, our big data analytics as well in that we can see where the human pe well the humans are focusing mm -hmm. and so we can then again feed that back into our analytics yeah. say what's next well, where the, is our upstream process broken yeah th those new analytics that that's some of that that uh, even that that team leader uh, is seeing yeah. and this is the gray that you were talking about yes. and then redefining the black and white i, I uh, mean to put you on the spot because <laughs> most folks will tell you i don't mean to put you on the spot they do they mean to put you on the spot <laughs> what uh, what about redefining that black and white can you give an example of you know what you're looking at if something hasn't been redefined just yet, uh, maybe a new analytic that has uh, come to light based on uh, this work, you know, some of this change that uh, that we're pushing? Um, I, I think one example would be uh, a, a project that we've re recently implemented uh, looking at, um, it, it was implementing a, a work orchestration process. Uh, so again, it was it was very new. I I think I went in probably about fifty percent of the way through the the initial kind of sprint, mm -hmm. which was obviously sprint zero. It was looking at kind of how do we define this, um, and they had done all of those transactional pieces, yeah. and we we looked to kind of integrate a work orchestration process through that. However. Looking at that, we then found there was a whole other piece that had to happen before mm -hmm. based on, on cues, on logic, on how we're actually going to pull that data through that was, yes, added complexity for the work orchestration, but it really made the process work 
because without that and without how we pulled the data in in the right order and hitting the right deadlines, we were never going to hit that. So we kind of went into it thinking that the process was that big and yeah. we found that there was kind of another chunk on the front of it, which actually then made the whole thing flow better end to end. And that's what we like. And that's what I really like about the job is yeah. that we've got that flexibility. We can, we have a scope, but if something comes up and we think, oh, we can pull that in to actually make the end to end bigger, better, work more efficiently, we can do. There we go, redefining the black and white. Indeed. Lauren Radcliffe. <laughs> Thank you very much. With a T. With a T and an E on the end. Huh? <laughs> And there you have Sinead, Roxanne, and Lauren from Procter & Gamble. Very much appreciate their time. Very much appreciate your time. Stay tuned.